0: Our text for this morning is in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Peter gives insight and direction for Christians living in societies which do not share their values. Peter wrote to encourage and support those who are suffering. Verses 17 to 21 in 1 Peter, chapter 1, are one long, breathless sentence. Peter's style is joyful. Exalted, urgent, and intense, like the grand finale of a fireworks display. Peter, says one Bible student, takes us to the heart of our salvation. How can we as sinners be drawn to the holiness of God? How can wayward, distracted, fickle, inconsistent sinners like us want to be holy because He is holy? But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then verse 24, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I imagine yesterday was just another Saturday at the Memphis Union Mission. Men probably came to hear some music and a message so they could get a meal and get on their way. Last month, Kathleen and I went to serve at the mission with some other friends from Grace of Ann, and it was our first time, and we knew we would go to the meeting and then serve the men a simple meal. We walked into a well-used, multi-purpose room with a tile floor and high white walls, There was a long stage with a pulpit and an old wooden rugged cross with a red piece of paper nailed to it that said, paid in full. There were two large sections of white plastic folding chairs with a center aisle. Most of the seats were already taken, but we finally found a spot on the left side and slipped in past a guy who was sitting on the aisle with his eyes closed and his arms folded across his chest under. His black polo shirt. Another guy was leaning forward with his head on the chair that Kathleen was going to sit in, so there was this delicate moment of gently alerting him that we needed the chair but didn't want to jerk it away from him. It was kind of a little nudge and a slow pull, and he surrendered it and rested his head on his hands. We settled in for the service. And my main impression looking around was the posture of many of the men. Heads were down. Shoulders slumped. Guys were slouching deep in their chairs. They looked weary and worn. There wasn't much eye contact. No light, buzzing conversation. No sense of community. I glanced back at the guy on my left. Looked down at his shoe, an old, dirty Nike that was blown out right at his little toe. His name was Lonnie. He grew up near Pontotoc, Mississippi. I asked if his parents still live there. He said his mom did. I wondered about his dad, and I wondered how Lonnie ended up at the mission. The service started with announcements and introductions. Some volunteers lined up on the stage for the music. The leader of the group was a tall, angular, gray haired guy with a big eagle and an American flag on his shirt. He was plinking on a mandolin as he introduced I Saw the Light by Hank Williams. He didn't sound much like Hank Williams. And it had been a real long time since he'd played that mandolin. We all stood up and started to sing like a child learning how to ride a bike. We wobbled through the verses, but we got going pretty well on the chorus. After the music was the message. The volunteer preacher of the day was a retired Sunday school teacher with a bad wig. As he spoke, I looked around at the men. Nobody seemed to be listening. It seemed like just another Saturday. Endure the music, get through the message, get the meal, get out. Every head was bowed and every eye was closed, but it wasn't because the guy was given an invitation. I wondered what I would say if I was preaching. What would it take to really get their attention? How, how could I reach down to the deep places of their minds and hearts and memories Their physical needs were obvious. They were weary and worn. They were at the mission on a Saturday for a simple meal. No job, disconnected from their family, nowhere to go, nothing to do. How much greater were their spiritual needs? What could wash away their sin? What could make them whole again? I wonder what I might say that would make a lasting difference, make it more than just another Saturday. Man's need for a Savior was really clear to me that morning. The need for the hope and the power of the gospel, for spiritually dead men to be born again, for slaves to sin to be set free and drawn to the holiness of God. It was not just another Saturday for me. The gospel of Christ was very clear and beautiful to me as that preacher spoke to those men with their heads down. The obvious need of those weary and worn, needy and unresponsive men reminded me in a fresh new way of my own need for God's grace. Where would I be if I'd grown up like Lonnie? Was I so different? Where would I be without the redeeming grace of God? Are we much different this morning? Are we rejoicing in the great Savior, the redeeming grace of God in Christ? Or are we just here to get something from God, just going through the motions, just another Sunday? Don't we need God's grace every day, every hour? Haven't many of us come from broken families? Don't we often lose our way? Haven't we loved things that don't really matter? Where would we be without a Savior? I realized there was nothing I could do to change those guys that morning. Nothing except tell them what God had done. What those men needed to hear, what we need to hear again this morning is that God has delivered needy sinners from empty, pointless lives. And he's done so through the breathtakingly extravagant, exceedingly costly personal sacrifice of his own son. Hear Peter again. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Consider three aspects of this deliverance from 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Think of three reasons for sharing in Peter's joy in the gospel. Three reasons why this should not be just another Sunday for you and me. The first aspect, the first reason to rejoice is the deliverance itself. Peter calls what God did through Christ a ransom. Do you see the verse 18? It's in the passive tense. You were ransomed. We didn't ransom ourselves with good intentions or silver and gold. God did this for us. We can't ransom ourselves or somebody else. Only God can ransom His people. Ransom is an ancient picture word packed with meaning and roots in the Old Testament and first century culture in which slavery was very, very common. As God ransomed Israel from hopeless slavery in Egypt through that Passover lamb and later ransom them from captivity in Babylon, so He delivers us and sinners like us today. Ransom means liberated, set free, rescued. A ransom is a costly sacrifice. Ransom is like paying for victims of sexual trafficking to be released from their owners. Article in Time Magazine titled, I bought two slaves to free them. That's a great illustration of a ransom. Ransom is mounting a mission to rescue hostages or adopting a helpless child from a Russian orphanage. Ransom is what God has done in Christ to those who trust in Him. Jesus Himself said, Mark ten forty-five. the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Peter says believers should know this. Do you know that God has personally delivered you? Have you ever heard and understood what Christ has done to save sinners? Or have you forgotten? God has delivered me. It cost him something, and so I fear him. The first aspect is that a ransom is a costly deliverance. This should not be just another Sunday, because God has delivered those who trust in him. Delivered us from what? Well, that brings us to the second aspect of God's deliverance, the plight from which we were ransomed. Peter says you were ransomed from The feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Peter contrasts the old ways of life and thought inherited from our forefathers with the new life inherited from our Heavenly Father. Believers have been delivered from the meaninglessness of life without God. Peter refers to the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. That's a reference to the cultural context, the spiritual captivity, the bondage to sin into which we were born. So this futility that Peter speaks of is inherited. Peter calls life without God futile. A life without God may be moral or immoral. A woman living a feudal life may be culturally refined and socially powerful, or she may be a simple country girl. A captive to inherited futility may be well-educated or a dropout. At the pinnacle of their profession or a floundering incompetent. Feudal is empty, meaninglessness. It is loving. Things that don't ultimately matter. Feudal is a lifestyle that may be lauded by society, but is ultimately, which is to say, eternally pointless. Friends, get to know your neighbors and the personal lives of those with whom you work. Poke around in your own family tree. Dig out some of those skeletons in your closets. Read the newspaper. Spend a Saturday at the mission. Look in the mirror you'll see abundant examples of inherited futility. The second aspect of this deliverance is the fact that God has ransomed us from the futile way of life inherited from our families and the world around us. The third reason why we should be with Peter rejoicing this morning in God's great deliverance, the third aspect is a contrast that emphasizes not only the cost but also the means of our deliverance. Notice the word with. You were not, we were not ransomed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. The contrast here is between perishable things and the precious blood of Christ. We often fail to distinguish between perishable and precious We should always check the expiration date. Is it eternal? Like knowing God and serving Christ and hunger and thirst for righteousness, the zeal to gain godly wisdom is eternal. God's Word is eternal. People are eternal. We cannot deliver ourselves from bondage to sin and a misdirected life. But Christ can. Why, why would God do this? Why would he sacrifice his son to ransom the likes of us? The fact that Christ died shows us God's terrifying and perfect holiness. And the fact that he was willing to sacrifice his own son shows us his infinite love and mercy on sinners like me. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We should know and not forget that God has done for us what we were powerless to do for ourselves. He has ransomed us, delivered us from spiritual brokenness and bondage. He has set us free from inherited futility, pointless existence and misplaced values. He has rescued us from sin. And He has done this in terrifying wrath and incomprehensible love through the infinitely costly and personal sacrifice of His Son's precious blood. It may have been just another Saturday for those men down at the mission, just another meeting, some mediocre music, and a simple gospel message in order to get a simple meal. But it wasn't for me. I saw the grace of God and the glorious beauty of the gospel again in the midst of all those broken men. I saw where I would be without Christ's deliverance. I saw the great and holy love of God in Christ for me. This is not just another Sunday. It may have felt that way when you walked in, carrying your burdens and fears and anxieties, but I trust that it will be otherwise as you leave. We're living in a society that does not share our values We need support and encouragement. Are you weary and worn, suffering? Does your life feel pointless? Have you forgotten the stark contrast between perishable silver and gold and the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb of God? We need to know and not forget that God has sacrificed His Son to set us free from sin. We need to know and remember that the death of Christ has freed us from the futility of our fathers, that the death of Christ has delivered us from the power of sin, that God has met our great need for grace through the great sacrifice of His Son. As Charles Spurgeon said, we have a great need for a Savior, and we have a great need. Savior for our need. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, this morning as we come to partake of a very simple meal, we ask that this would not be just another Sunday. I pray, Heavenly Father, that You would reveal Your holy love to us afresh and anew, that even though we're sitting in a comfortable pew and a comfortable room with comfortable people that all look really good, that we would not be confused about the difference between perishable and the precious blood of Christ. So speak to us afresh and anew, Lord. Remind us individually in our minds and in our hearts and in our memories that we were sinners on the way to hell and You found us and saved us and have set us on a path of significant service all because of what our, uh, uh, of what our Savior, Your Son, has done for us and in our place. Amen.